hello and welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. Oh, and I'm PJ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, that's I'm just sitting in. there that's... listening to you thinking, oh, this is nice. I'm just listening to John. Yeah, I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Never knowingly inattentive. It's uh, PJ Montgomery, everybody. I was paying attention. I just forgot that I had to join in. <laughs> you were paying attention. You just didn't care enough to uh, <laughs> to show up. Honestly, PJ. I mean, yeah, why not? We'll go with that. <laughs> why not? No, why not? Well, no, better. To be honest, like, you know, the kind of content that PJ brings to the table is so good that, you know, even even late, <laughs> even like checked out, you know, it's just, it's still, it's still great. It's all, all killer. Which podcast am I on? <laughs> uh, the good one. The really good one. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Fill in the blanks yourself. Um, <laughs> this is like, uh, this is like the old days, PJ. Look at us. We're, we're, we're ahead. We're ahead of the, of the publishing schedule. Yeah, well, we, we've we've missed the odd episode here and there lately, largely because I have a baby. Um, hey, I think it, I think at least one of those was my fault. But we sort of realised I'm away next week and we have to release an episode, so we should get it done early. So yeah, we're ahead. It won't last, but we're ahead. No, we're we're actually being incredibly responsible. There was a time where we we we'd, we'd bank a few. I mean. Obviously, obviously, uh, the, the the ideal situation is that we record in the moment because this is a very cutting edge comic book. Oh yeah, and, no, you want to be current. Yeah, I mean, and if we're going to be like, if we're going to be like thirty years late to the party, I'd at least rather be, you know, uh, punctual in how late I am. Um, <laughs> but obviously, at the end of the month, um, I'm going to be away uh, for MCM Comic Con. Ooh. So October, October is one of those times where we've we've got to we've got to get ahead of things, which is why P- P- PJ was better than I. PJ was the organised one, going like, "Oh, we should uh, we should start banking them." I'm going away, John. I'm going away. That's it's what good. I did. Yeah, no, he did. He did. And uh, the uh, God, yeah, I, that, the most magical time of year, MCM Comic Con, rolling around again. Oh, it comes quicker every year. It certainly does. And it's just the, I... the look in the children's eyes as they're wandering around ignoring the indie comics. That's what I like. May I say, PJ, that um, nothing brings me greater joy than knowing that in the corporate speak of MCM, the only people they don't call creators are comic book creators. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yes. It is. Um, I have so many issues with MCM. And yet, it is still our favourite show. And I, I don't know, is, is that the very nature of being a comic fan? You, you know, you love a thing that ultimately hurts you? Yeah, probably. How many people are like, oh, I hate Marvel, but I'm going to keep buying their comics. I'm going to keep buying it out of spite. Just, yeah. Just because I can. So I can moan about it on Twitter. It is, well, X. I'm not calling it that. No, no. And you're, and you're, wise, you're wise not to do so. The, um... Uh, speaking of Grant Morrison, PJ, which were is ostensibly <laughs> why we're here, uh, I have um, ordered, because um, apparently despite everything I saw online, it wasn't actually out, it was just kind of like, you know, pre, pre-publication hype, but I've ordered my copy of, um, I believe, Grant Morrison's first novel. Oh, de- cool. Debut novel, which uh, will hopefully be turning up at a bookshop near me before too long. Very nice. 
It is called, I don't know if you're familiar with it, all I know is that it's called Luda, and it is set in an alternate reality Glasgow, and features um, drag queens and magicians. I think I have heard vague vague rumblings on that one, yeah. <laughs> that's That sounds entirely Grant Morrison, and I'm it here It sounds it. very Grant Morrison, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. The, um, it's actually kind of surprising that Morrison hasn't done more novels, I would say. Um, yeah, I would have thought that they um, that they would have had at least a couple out by now. It does surprise me that this is their first. Well, um, I guess Super Gogs doesn't really count. Although, to call that... An, it's a weird book, Super Gogs, because it's like part autobiography, but also part kind of like historical narrative of comics and superheroes but also just lengthy chapters talking about alien abductions and stuff so it's um it's it's a bit all over shop not not entirely a work of fact but not entirely a work of fiction either right yeah yeah and a lot of mark miller bashing which even even i started to blush at after a while (laughs) (laughs) well now i kind of want to read it (laughs) i mean i wanted to anyway i've just never never gotten around to it but now i want to read it even more i remember i remember years ago there were because um obviously morrison uh became friends with uh is it is it gerald way from my chemical romance Gerard way. Ger- Gerard, yeah. sorry. G- Gerard is a bit cooler than Gerald. Who, who did the um the Umbrella Academy. The Umbrella Academy, yes. And and later on went on to do the Oh god. Uh, there was a DC imprint that they gave just to Gerard Way. Um, oh, was there? <laughs> yeah, this was oh gosh, this was like in the last five years, I want to say. And basically because Gerard Way was frankly doing so well you know an umbrella academy was so big and and clearly you know a writer who wears their morrison appreciation on their Mm. sleeve uh they gave um it was almost like a like a new vertigo i don't know if this is ringing any bells not at all (laughs) young animal that's what it was called oh i do remember young animal i didn't realize that was the gerard way imprint yeah, like he wasn't writing all of it, but I kind of feel like he was like the creative overseer of it. Yeah, yeah. And there was like Doom Patrol, as written by Gerard Way, which was written very much as a sequel to Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, kind mm. of ignoring stuff that had come since. And I think as we've alluded to before, there is absolutely no sense in trying to make sense of the Doom Patrol continuity, because <laughs> even by DC hard resets, it doesn't really make sense internally. Yeah. But then there was also Mother Panic and mm-hmm. Shade the Changing Girl. I, I remember say. Shade the Changing Girl. Yeah, I don't know if that rings any bells. They have, I have the only, I, I collected Doom Patrol for a little bit, because obviously I was a big fan of the Morrison run. Mm. And also they did a, crossover event with the justice league called milk wars milk wars yes does that ring a bell no <laughs> uh it was the concept is the joke like um it, it was a fight it's a you know perfectly fine little story very surreal uh but also kind of just poking fun at the entire point of a crossover because it's all about it's all about milk and yeah. like there's a 
if I, God, I haven't read it in ages, but there's like a, the bad guy is like a Superman esque milkman who, of course, he is wears like a kind of gleaming, pristine like 1950s white suit with a like a little cap and stuff. Yeah, and the milk is controlling people's minds or something. <laughs> uh, if I remember, I think the weakest part in it was the presence of the Justice League because it was very much like a Justice League that I I just couldn't really connect with at the time because was it I, like the new 52 version of the justice league it if it yeah, uh, yes maybe like if it wasn't it was only just after they'd done away with that incarnation mm. yeah i don't know it, it it's like it's like revisiting the place you grew up it's like you know you can't go home again i didn't i didn't recognize a lot of the characters as they currently stood <laughs> mm. But hey, I'm sorry, I apologise. That was my young animal diversion. I think that was around the time... I remember there was there was a thought bubble. It might have been the last one they did in Leeds that Gerard Way was at, and the queues for him were insane. And we, we weren't queuing to go and see him or anything. I didn't have any actual physical Umbrella Academy or anything to get signed, and I don't really like my chemical romance. That's just me. I think he's a great writer, but I'm not a fan of his band. Mm. So... Um, but we did walk past where he was, and my wife got in trouble because she tried to take a photo of him. Oh, really? Yeah, it was one wow. of those where he had a security guy there who was like, no, you can't take photos of him. He was perfectly happy with it. But no, you weren't allowed to take a photo of him if you weren't queuing to get a book signed or something. Oh, so hang on. So it wasn't even like, um, oh, I don't know, when you go to one of these big show masters events and there's like david hasselhoff or something and you can't take photos because you're expected to buy a photo yeah for like so it wasn't even like that they were just like no photos of the rock star kind of yeah yeah i don't think he gave a shit but um sorry i've just sworn i've got the explicit rating on this episode <laughs> um, oh it's always explicit Peter. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah the the security detail was yeah <laughs> interesting could, could that have been because i'm trying to think the last thought bubble that was in leagues I want to say that was like 2018 or 2019, something like that. I th- I think it might have been 2019. No, 2018, because it was we didn't go in 2019 because we were getting married quite close to it. Yeah, and I, I want to say it might have been 2018 because that was a really busy year because we'd just moved house, we'd just got married, we'd had our honeymoon, we put on the Comic Summit. Uh, so like all kinds of stuff was going on. And, and ironically enough, PJ, my thumbnail image on skype which we are using to talk to each other you know right now was taken at that event (laughs) i remember it vividly yeah because that was one of the ones where it was in a load of marquees in the city center and then they'd taken over like one big room in was it in city hall or some big old building in the middle of the city and he was in that room it was it was weird isn't it because again uh for, for sorry for anyone listening who isn't familiar with Thought Bubble. Um, I know we've talked about it before, but it's basically, um, it is the biggest, I would say, is independent the right word? You know, for a convention? um, Yeah, I think so, because it's not really run by... A conglomerate. Yeah, exactly. It's it's still its own thing, isn't it? Because in the UK, you obviously we don't have the you know, the population or, you know, we're a smaller country than America, which is obviously, you know, the, the home what? of these. I, I know, shocking, shocking. I'm, I'm amazed it took us like 87 episodes to get to that revelation. But like, <laughs> um, 
obviously we're a much smaller country, much smaller population. We we just can't quite command the same footfall that mm. big American shows do. But in terms of conventions, there's really only obviously you've got like the smaller, more independent shows, um, which range in scale. But the in terms of big shows, I, I want to say there's maybe only really like a few a few players in the game. There's 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 MCM which is yeah. now owned by Reed Pop, which is the yeah. same company that does New York Comic Con, Emerald City Comic Con, um, C2E2, that sort of thing. Um, and they're the, the quintessential big corporation. Like they, they have multiple franchises, so MCM Birmingham, MCM London, that sort of thing. Uh, then you've got maybe like the Showmasters events. Yep. Which are a bit cheaper like in terms of like maybe quality shall we say like yeah the, more... the show show masters is not a good company no very much the um the autograph farm sort of thing yeah um and then you've got kind of thought bubble which is like the absolute polar opposite of of mcm um which is uh historically it used to be up in leagues yeah which, if you're familiar with the geography of the UK, is um, <laughs> quite far from London. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, so you know you've, you're a bit, a bit of a trek north for, yes. for, for, for people, and um, was run by uh, well, effectively run by artists, and and had yeah. an incredibly close connection with all the cool American publishers, so like Image Comics, for example. Like I, I think they basically were on first name terms with everyone at Image, who were just effectively come over every year for a a big old party basically yeah i thought bubble obviously mcm and the show masters ones they feel like they're being run as businesses whereas thought bubble feels like it is about the art Mm. um and they will get big name guests in they marvel and dc won't have like their own stands but you will have marvel and dc writers there gail simone's been a few times kieran gillen is there every year uh, oh, he's, he basically had... lives there, Kieran. Yeah, yeah. Tom King, Scott Snyder. I um... saw. I met. Um, I saw Mark Wade back in. Yeah. Within the last decade, I want to say. Yeah. To him. John. I, I. I met John Romita Jr. there one year. Um, yeah. So big names do Thought Bubble because it's a well-respected event, um, and it still gets the punters in because you've got those big names. But then, largely around them. It's independent books and things and artists, yeah. and it's it, it, it's a really good event. I love Thought Bubble. I wish I could go every year, but it's just not possible at the moment. It is funny. I I I feel like Thought Bubble is a is a much better like I Thought Bubble is the show I would go to mm. as a as a punter. I did the, last year. You did indeed. Like with the things I care about and the things I like, you know, and everything we moan about with the bigger shows it is basically one big artist alley one big comic village like it's an absolute explosion of talent yeah yeah um, and it's the same size pretty much as an mcm or a show masters but it's 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 about the comics yeah and i well, yeah it's it's only big i mean like you know mcm london we are talking like kind of aircraft hangar kind of kind yeah, of size but you know it's I will they say take over the town basically, don't they? Thought yeah, it's it's got it's a big. Um, it's definitely got the kind of like art community vibe kind of going on. There'll be tons of workshops, talks. Um, the town does kind of get involved with it. Mm. You know, it, it, it's funny. Like I think um, 
a thought bubble, like for us at least, is a it's a much better like artistic experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, MCM, the double-edged sword, uh, it is in many ways a nightmare to deal with. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, you don't go there for artistic integrity, shall we say? Uh, but you know, in terms of a business, if you're able to play the game, if you think your stuff is going to connect with a, a a wider kind of non-discerning audience, you know, um, I don't I don't say that to be snobby, but like more quote unquote normal people would yeah. go to MCM because it's a pop culture event. Then I think if you're willing to accept the downsides and play the game, you can do you can do relatively well yeah. out of it. I would say. Yeah, if like John, you're willing to forego your integrity and just sell out. Well, no, PJ. The yeah. only, the only, the only thing I would say is that I never had any integrity to sell. Ah, so okay, that's no, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, where are we going with this? Yeah, I don't think Grant Morrison has ever done Thought Bubble, and I believe that is purely because Grant Morrison is an insane genius who lives in a in a castle somewhere in Glasgow. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think they have either. Um... They must it's, have been invited. Oh, oh, I have no doubt. But it, but it is the secret, like, just it's the secret to maintaining your mystique, keeping that distance, perhaps. Uh possibly. Although I don't know, I've seen them interviewed on so many. You know, if there's a comics documentary of any kind, Grant Morrison's going to be involved. Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I remember that same thought bubble. Uh, we were just talking about uh, the last one. No, sorry, the one where Gerard Way was there. Last mm. one in leagues. I want to say that potentially that year, one of the big guests was Warren Ellis. Uh, yeah, and that seemed like a bit of a a get, you know. Uh, but of course, it was not long after that that a lot of the yeah. you know the things came out, and then it really put a damper on the whole thing. Mm. Certainly shattered a lot of my illusions after that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think was that the same year, or it might have been a different year that Brian K. Vaughan was there. Um, yeah, but they, yeah, they do get the big names. So we want some. Um, my first thought bubble tabling, which is when it was still in the the armory in in Leeds. We were opposite Gail Simone. Her table was right opposite ours, so we mm. spent a lot of time just chatting to her. It was great. I think Joe, Joe Glass in particular, built up enough of a relationship with her over that weekend that when the Pride came out, he managed to get her to do a pull quote for him on the cover. Oh, yes. Well, indeed, indeed. And I guess the um, the the question might be, is like this pantheon of big names, like, you know, and I have wondered this before, I think I think potentially on air as well, but are, are we getting, are we moving past that era now where like, you know, because like it used to be a time where you'd have like, you know, you know, Simone, Morrison, Wade, uh, uh, Ellis, you know, all these big, big, big names. And obviously, you know, we're all getting older now, but also the market's changing. And you have to wonder, like, will, will these names have the same draw, you know, in the next few years? Yeah, I don't really know. I'm not, because I'm not really keeping up with what's going on in modern mainstream comics so much, I don't really know if any of them are still writing for marvel or dc so much i know i know they've all been putting out sort of more independent books either through image or another sort of indie publisher or just under their own their own steam so i don't really know but yeah i think they're a draw if you're the sort of person who would like to attend thought bubble 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm not sure beyond that. I'm trying to think who would like bring bring me out of my hovel. I I think I I would definitely. Uh, it'd be nice to meet. It'd be nice to meet Grant Morrison. But then at the same time, I wonder if I I don't know. What would I say? I don't I don't know if I'd have anything to say to them other than I, th- I think I would say would you like to come on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's well PJ, we 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 get our agent talking to their agent surely. like you know, we we wouldn't make the introduction ourselves. It'd be very uncouth. Uh, yeah, um, I tell I tell you who would definitely Morrison and uh actually Howard Porter would get me there to oh. just talk about JLA and definitely Kurt Busick. I was that was on the tip of my tongue as well. Kurt Kurt Busick would be because Very interesting, especially having lost George Perez recently, fairly recently. I would be absolutely gutted if I missed a chance now to meet one of the team behind my favorite run on Avengers. Yeah, and it, and it, no, I'm, I'm I'm sorry, that was a really underwhelming. Yeah, but like I I was it actually just got me thinking because he's he, he's an odd one, Kurt Busiek, because obviously you and I have talked at, at length about his contribution. Hmm. Um, and what you know, obviously the parallels between Morrison's JLA and you know Busick's work on on Avengers, and uh, but he's almost like a kind of sleeper star. Like Busick's work is very influential. It's very it's very important. But like, I think und- I I don't think he gets the kind of fame and attention he deserves, really. Or maybe I that's agree. by choice. Maybe he's a, you know very maybe he's a more private person. I think. He's he's very much a writer's writer. I think there are all the comic writers I can think of hugely respect him, mm. but I don't know if he's particularly well thought of or known outside. There are people who love his work, who like just love Astro City and Marvels and his run on Avengers, but I don't know if outside of creatives or the diehard comics community, he is that well known. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of music, actually, and speaking of people, you know, we kind of, um, you know, sadly lost. Um, I've started rereading uh, Avengers Forever oh. um, by obviously Kurt Busiek, and and I, I will sincerely apology apologize because I believe I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but Carlos uh, Pacheco. I think that's it. Yeah, and honestly, like reading that again, um, which I've not read for a great many many years. Um, mm. He's a phenomenal artist. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, I always knew he was good, but like going back over it, going like, good grief. He is an absolute, he was an absolute powerhouse. <laughs> like, incredible. Like, um, I just, I was, I was actually just stunned by it going like, good God. Like, yeah, how lucky we were to, to have him. It was, it was remarkable work. Yeah. Cause he, I think he, he drew the one of the X-Men books for a while, and his art was the main reason to be buying that book at the time, I think, because it was sort of an underwhelming team they had on it and in terms of the actual X-Men themselves. And that was when Marrow, they were trying to make Marrow a thing. Yes. So. <laughs> I mean, they did, PJ. She, she, was, she was a thing. Yeah, well. <laughs> that was like the era where... Yes, I remember reading that era where... Um, uh, like um, Z- Operation Zero Tolerance, that sort was, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And the the kind of uh, the weird, the weird Sentinels, that sort of thing. Bastion, that sort of thing. Mm. But yeah, no, he was he was fantastic. And I'll tell you what, I didn't know this. According to his uh, Wikipedia page, 
he was studying biology when he started working in comics. Oh, really? Yeah, there you go. Oh. I feel like I feel a kinship here, as a as a former biologist myself. <laughs> yeah. But no, and and of course it's it's interesting. I I loved Avengers forever when I when mm. I first I first read it and yeah, um, you know I I very much enjoyed um, season one of Loki. Yeah, when we watched that, and of course, you know, going back and rereading Avengers Forever, which I I knew like Loki was like, oh yeah, this will have this is obviously taking some inspiration from bits of Avengers Forever, but yeah, like, crikey, um, <laughs> I I was gonna say I hope that Kurt Busiek and um, Carlos got a uh, got a check. Um, I would wager it's probably only that. What's that kind of like? handshake they send they send you like a two thousand dollar yeah yeah <laughs> please don't push this they'll say yeah we, we, and then put your name in the credits well um i um i shan't name them but um uh in in chatting to a uh a a an artist a few months ago an artist who's who's done some work for um uh marvel um they were they were credited in a Marvel movie and they didn't actually know. <laughs> yeah, it just it just didn't even didn't even come up. Someone else told them saying, "Oh, congrats on getting that shout out in the credits." And they're like, "You what?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah they, and they weren't even a hundred percent certain why they'd been credited. They had to like think <laughs> think really hard. Marvel just going through every artist who's ever worked with them and sticking them at the end of random movies. Is that just to get everyone in there? Yeah, I mean, it's probably. You know, I, I think give, given given the rate at which they're putting content now, PJ, there's a very good chance that you and I will get credited at some point. Uh, no, I'm not in a Marvel book. I've read a lot of Marvel books. <laughs> well, yeah, and thank you for the contribution of uh, PJ Montgomery, who kept uh, who kept X Men going through uh, through the Marrow years. Well, <laughs> yeah, I did read it. I did. <laughs> the um. Just to tie everything back to Grant Morrison, um, I remember my introduction to like X Men comics was was during the kind of you know the onslaught period, mm. uh, and then and then onwards, and um, I still have an immense soft spot for for that era. But but obviously it's like it was it was funny how you could see by the time they got to new X Men, yeah, you could see how it needed new X Men. Like or something like New X Men, like yeah. Well, you had the highs of the mid nineties, didn't you? Which sort of peaked with Onslaught, and then went on into Zero Tolerance, and then there was a little bit of a decline. I would say maybe it picked up a little bit again when Alan Davis came on board, and mm. the book got weird, but in a way I quite enjoyed with the whole Apocalypse the Twelve story arc. Yeah, um, and then after that. They sort of said, oh, let's do a... The movie's come out and done well, so let's just sort of do a soft reboot and restart everything and bring in all-star teams. But what they did was brought back Chris Claremont. And, yeah, Chris Claremont was not the same. Or maybe the problem was Chris Claremont was exactly the same, but that wasn't what comics were anymore. And it just wasn't good. Well, I mean, that's the eternal dilemma, isn't it? Because, of course, you know, you go back and you read the um, Chris Claremont, John Byrne... X-Men stuff, un- uncanny X-Men. And and it's incredible. Like I mm. I'm like, oh my god, like this was a game changer. Like it, it was remarkable comics. Fantastic. Like 
I, I enjoy reading them. They're good. And then, yeah, it's like, what changed? Or as you, as you said, like, you know, did nothing change, but the world turned around them? I don't know. But yeah, Chris Claremont's stuff from that point, like from the 2000s on, it's like, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think he took on both X-Men and Uncanny X-Men. And I don't remember anything about that period other than they all changed costumes. I can't remember any of the costumes, except that Cable had Cyclops' visor around his neck. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Um, and Wolverine's costume didn't change because he still had a solo book and they couldn't. So Wolverine was still in the same costume, but I don't remember any of the costumes. I don't remember any of the villains. Um, oh, I... Well, PJ, how could you not remember the cast of 200 additional characters that, that Chris Claremont created? I remember the rubbish version of Thunderbird they brought in. They brought in a new Thunderbird. And hey, I, he was hey awful. now. Hey now, Thunderbird three. He could, you know, solar plasma, whatever his powers were. Yeah, whatever. And then it sort of they then ended it by Claremont left briefly, and I think Scott Lobdell came back to do the Magneto War, and Cyclops came back, and it was a bit better again. And that's that was then sort of leading then into that was sort of the Magneto War. I think was to tidy and sweep everything off the board. So that then, clean slate, in comes Morrison with new X-Men. But then they still give Claremont extreme X-Men just to carry on his bullshit. Oh, I've done yeah. it again. I've sworn twice now. Um, well, no, I mean, when it... Yeah, when it comes to Chris Claremont or John Byrne, that's where the swearing really begins, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, my brother would was reading Extreme X-Men. Uh, and I would read it when he was, he was done with it. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, it had a. I'll be charitable and say it had like a certain momentum when Salvador Larocca was drawing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, when Igor Cord Cordley stepped yeah. in. Um, wow! Like when you when you didn't even have the artwork to carry it, it it became very leaden, like very leaden. Yeah. Yeah. All I really remember is he killed off Psylocke in the first couple of issues had Beast, but then Beast had to leave the book so he could be in the Morrison book. And then at some point he tried to do a sequel to God Loves Man Kills. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. The um, I always remember there was an episode, uh, sorry, an issue of Extreme X-Men where they did a crossover with new X-Men. Mm. Uh, as in, I think it was something like Gene who was obviously on Morrison's team and Storm, who was on Claremont's team, went on like a, like a psychic vacation together. Oh, yes. And that was jarring. Like that was really jarring because it's a Chris Claremont kind of like just two girls hanging out kind of story. Uh, and it's like, so what have you been up to? And it's like, oh, well, you know, we're, Storm's like, oh, you know, we're on this globe trotting adventure to like, track down a new guy who's like a new new subspecies of human who hates mutants and it's like what about eugene oh you know we're dealing with absolute just messed up nightmare fuel um from <laughs> from grand morrison and it's like oh yeah these worlds should not be overlapping like at all yeah for me the only good thing about extreme x-men is that it meant morrison was able to use bishop for that murder mystery issue of new x-men that was great 
yes, that was Bishop fun. coming in as just a detective, but Bishop who was in Extreme X Men at the time. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a time! What a time! What a time indeed. Um, but hey, PJ, this isn't the X Men podcast. It's for JLA cast. Yes, sorry. Yes, no, wrong team. Fine. Wrong team. Yeah, we're talking about there. We went off. God, we're bad at this. But like, hey, hey, I, I will say like, it's, it's all part of a greater tapestry. You know, this is all. Yeah, this is, this is comics. Yeah, this is all stuff. You know, X Men is what Morrison went off to do after JLA, and all this stuff was going on at a similar sort of time to Year One here that we're looking at JLA Year One. I want to say, yeah, that would have been around the time that. Alan Davis's X-Men run was on-ish, roughly. Mm. So there we go. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, the I don't want to get too up my, you know, up ourselves and say like there was some grand thesis there, but it, it's really interesting to see like what happens, say, I don't know, three, four, five years after the big reboot. You know, like how mm. how or the soft reboot, you know, how how do you keep the energy going? Um because yeah, and then there's always got to be that fear in the back of your head that another another status quo change is potentially coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, um, PJ, uh, it is uh, issue ten of JLA Year One, uh, the the October collection, the the full collection, if you will. Yeah, and um, this is. Heaven and Heaven and Earth, not to be confused with issue seven of JLA called Heaven on Earth, which was published yes. fourteen months earlier. Yeah, there we go. Heaven and Earth, and the credits are on page one, so I'm going to do them now. Mark Wade, Brian Augustine, and Barry Kitson, storytellers. Michael Bear and Mark Propst, inkers. Ken Lopez, letterer. Pat Garrahi, colorist. Heroic Age Separations. Peter Tomasi, editor. There we go. And can I just say a, a personal bugbear of mine? When it, which is not the fault of the comic, it's it's merely the fault of the uh, trade paperback. Is that um, they've they've swapped the pagination to to cut down on the overall page count of the trade paperback because this is this is page one we're looking at and it should be on the right hand side. Yeah. yeah. So it has completely changed how the the beats will fall. Yeah, it's kind of just what has to happen when you're printing a trade sometimes, doesn't it? Well, sometimes is the word, PJ. I mean, like you could throw a throw a couple of blank pages in, you know. <laughs> yeah, but then you get like I put a blank page into Trolltooth Wars, and I got people really pissed off with me because I'd done that. And I was like, you... yeah, it's, it's it's for pacing reasons. And they're like, no, you've made a mistake. No, no, no. I, I, that's in the script. That blank page is meant to be there. I, seriously? Yeah, I had a couple of people complaining that I'd either made a mistake and it had gotten to print, or that. I'd rip them off because uh, they were paying for their book and part of it was just a blank page. I've had some... I, okay, I'm going to swear. I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there, PJ. I've had, I've had some bullshit feedback over the years, but I have never had somebody say, "Yeah, I, I pay for the whole book and you put a blank page in it. Yeah, yeah. Good well, grief. It was a different kind of fan I was catering to and some well, of them, I'm going to say now, were weird. Uh, if it makes you feel better, PJ, um, Nick had a review of his um, award-winning RPG, Colossal, mm. uh, where someone said, "It's a good book, but I'm going to count it down because I don't like the. I'm going to. I'm going to give it a lower rating because I don't like the font." Oh, good God! 
There you go. I, Revu- I hate re- people so much. <laughs> Reviews taken with a pinch of salt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we've had any, but I've not read them. I mean, do uh, reviewers because it really helps push you up the rankings on Apple Podcasts. But I'm not going to read it. Oh, I think I think I should have sailed. <laughs> I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd rather just do it because we love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, uh, PJ, uh, what on earth has been happening in this, the first year of uh, the JLA's um, projects? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a bunch of evil scientists called Locusts, and they're doing something to the Earth, uh, like something cataclysmic and apocalyptic. And it's all alien that are involved as well, the Appalachians that brought the Justice League together. And the JLA, who've been betrayed... Uh, allegedly by their compatriot John Jones, the Manhunter from Mars, uh, have split into groups to go and stop two of these Locust devices. They have succeeded, uh, and now they have found the final device, and John was next to it, and it set the air on fire, and they think John has been working for Locust all along. Oh, and uh, Vandal Savage is involved somehow. He's not in this issue. We don't have to worry about that. No, but I just, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, he's there. That's what I want people to know. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, there's, there's a there's a lot of methane. A big machine has been venting methane into the atmosphere, so um, it uh, yeah, it, it probably it doesn't smell very great, I imagine either. Yeah, yeah. So because the sky's on fire, Jean doesn't like fire. It's it's kind of his one weakness, and he looks terrified and is holding his head, and. Um, Green Lantern just starts shouting at him, saying, what have you done? And John is like, you can't think I would have done this. But Flash points out, well, look, from the evidence we've gathered, Locus is out to terraform the Earth. We've destroyed two of their machines, and we found a third being manned by you. What other conclusion can we draw? And Aquaman out and out says, you're the eighth Appalachian, and then gets shot in the back. Yeah, like, um, Aquaman is just laying it all out here. He's like, you know, really stressing. He's like, you know, you're an alien and also going like you know and even for a land dweller you're a lying schemer so like um yeah really just not feeling a lot of love right now yep yeah <laughs> but then they're ambushed by a bunch of locust scientists who are now big purple men who just start attacking and the league are trying to work together but they just they, no, there's no trust anywhere and they're also not really listening to each other and so it sort of starts going badly yeah and and also, I mean, just to comment for a moment on uh, on the kind of like locust master plan here. Um, obviously, they they they're kind of working with the Appalachians who are going to conquer Earth, or you know, they're terraforming the place. But the locust plan is to, and they've been working on this for ages, is to engineer new bodies, so kind of like Appalachian bodies, if you will, uh, which will, if they transfer their minds into them it will allow them to survive the coming, like, apocalypse, basically. Uh, which is all well and good, but all their new bodies are, like, big monster mash purple Hulk bodies. Um, which is all very practical, I'm sure, until I'd be like, well, we our, our base is built to human scale. Like, we're going to have to build, like, toilets, which are, like, 60% bigger. Like, even the guns they're carrying, PJ, would, would be slightly bigger. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like they don't... Well, they're big sort of sci-fi guns, aren't they? And it looks like they just sort of maybe got a button on them that they squeeze to fire them. I don't know. They're weird. 
I don't know. I just, I guess my point is, PJ, like, how much do you want to survive the coming apocalypse? Because if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be put into a new body, I want something with more dexterous fingers, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to be a big purple blob man. Well, I guess they are, they're, they're mad scientists, because I believe that's the definition. So. Yes, that's true. That's so, true. So there we go. Uh, but yeah, so as, as, as you said, PJ, uh, the league, they're not trusting each other. They're not functioning as a group uh they're you know trying to call on each other to help but you know they're just not really they're just not really you know sinking pj but it's not really harmonizing shall we say yeah yeah aquaman shouts to canary that they've got a move they worked out against grod and they should use it but canary doesn't listen and then flash doesn't listen to greenland and hal gets shot in the back but then you get this really cool moment where flash catches hal and they start running through the group as Flash was said, look, let's let's try and work together here. And it's just this brilliant panel of Flash running through these scientists and everyone he runs past, Green Lantern smacks in the face with something different. So one gets a fist, one gets a bat, one gets a rock, some just get energy blasts. But it, I love that panel, just this brilliant bit of teamwork suddenly from nowhere between Flash and Green Lantern. And... Um... Yeah, so, you know, as for League, you know, slightly wounded egos, wounded trust, you know, um, as they're, as they're starting to get it back together again, uh, they're like, well, hang on a minute. If Jean is working with Locus, why is he, like, cannonballing his way towards their big atmospheric burning machine? Uh, as in, like, it's burning the atmosphere. It, it, it doesn't have an atmosphere about it. I mean, it it, it is kind of atmospheric. It's a big sci-fi machine. Um but, you know, Jean starts tearing the thing apart um, while catching fire, which is not good for him. So he is he is screaming in agony. Yeah. And now the League are baffled. So like we thought he was on their side. What's going on? Aquaman asks if they should help him. But before they can react, the machine just explodes and Lantern only just has time to get the four of them in a bubble to protect them. Yeah, and, you know, the... the I hesitate to call them scientists anymore, but, you know, the Appalachian scientists um, are kind of, you know, blasted away by the massive explosion. And, um, you know, Jean collapses to the ground in a in a kind of burning, burning husk, basically. And, um, you know, they're leaving the League to, you know, kind of gather around his fallen body as they're like, you know, oh, we're, we're so sorry, John. We're so sorry. We, uh, we, uh, we we assumed incorrectly yeah as john's just lying still on the ground with the the league surrounding him looking sad and slightly ashamed yeah yeah and uh they don't even get a moment to um properly mourn because um those damn scientists start shooting at them again even as they try to flee so you know their big muscle their big muscle bound bodies didn't help them massively and um they're trying to pop back into one of their portals, um, which means it's time for uh, um, Green Lantern to make a kind of super <laughs> rickshaw, basically, yeah. that Flash can pull, and they race through the portal. Yep, yep. And then, just a nice little moment, as they come flying out of the portal into Locus's home base, Green Lantern, the man who last issue said he was team leader and Aquaman laughed at him and said, no, Flash is team leader. Green Lantern just goes, looks like home base. What now, Flash? 
And I, it's just it's a little moment, but it's a moment I love because it's they don't linger on this Hal having an issue with not being in charge. He just sort of straight away goes, I accept that, fine, and falls into line. And I actually really like that because Hal does have an ego. He is that guy, but he is also happy to just go with the majority when when Nate when necessary and and just basically give up that leadership role that he thought he had to the Flash and and go with it and and he does well as a follower yeah and it, it is uh it, it's it's about as close to character growth as as Hal gets really yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and and thankfully i mean the the strategy is not especially complex it's just like <laughs> flatten anything that moves so they yeah. just they just kind of go wild i mean yeah. if you're a superhero that's got to be like that's a nice freebie isn't it like when you you bust into a you know, a base, you know, you've got all your kind of faceless, you know, scientists or, or goons. And, uh, well, great. This is easy. We can easily tell who the bad guys are. There's tons of them. Let's just go hog wild. Just start beating some people up. Yep. And they do. And again, some gr- a great panel of just carnage as Flash is zipping around, punching people out. Lantern's taking out some of the big purple guys. Canary's doing a scream. And then we get Aquaman just lifting a scientist by the throat and saying, I am completely out of patience. Tell us everything now. Yeah, and the dude who I, I think is the same kind of dude um, yeah. we've seen a few times, kind of like the, the head scientist or whatever. Uh, if he's got a name, I can't remember. It doesn't really matter because he's getting beat down. Um, but I do love this uh, in classic kind of... Uh, final act villain mode Aquaman's like tell us everything you know and he's like yeah alright I mean why not um, <laughs> yeah. you know you, you can't stop us anyway he's like, I mean sli- it's issue 10 you've got to hear it at some point haven't you so. <laughs> you sly dog you caught me monologuing um, <laughs> yeah so he basically goes like uh, you know blah 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 blah. you uh, you, the league you prevented an Appalachian invasion but you kind of failed because there was one Appalachian you missed We've been working with him, and uh, our big plan is to terraform the world, to meet Appalachian standards, uh, and making new bodies for ourselves. So, kind of, you know, what we what what we have grasped. And uh, Green Lantern is uh, dismantling with a giant energy wrench uh, the machine that allows him to transform himself. So, we get a very cool panel, I will say, of some of the newly transformed Hulks. Um, looking not too pleased with Green Lantern. Yeah, the scientist even says they won't appreciate the interruption as these things just advance on Hal. Yeah, and I, I do. I, 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 I mean, this sincerely, I do very much like this panel. They look, uh, they look suitably, mm. suitably menacing. Yeah, and and sort of the the Hal's got his back to us, but the the look of surprise that his body language is displaying of uh oh, this is great. Uh, I'm, you know. Again, the monologuing continues. I mean, you know, if you're monologuing, you know you're about to win. Um, well, yeah, because one of the uh, one of the the new arrivals drags Aquaman off this scientist so that he's free, but he continues telling them his plan. Yeah, it's looking bad for our heroes, and, it, and he's like, um, "It's all of us versus the four of you. Look upon it as a privilege of everyone on Earth. You'll be the first to go." And then, <laughs> uh, clearly, locusts are about to win, BJ. But, but oh, then yeah. suddenly. Boom, uh, Jean blasts through the wall. And he's like, curses, it's for Martian Manhunter. <laughs> you traced us here, detective. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jean, uh, Jean's, Jean's pissed and yeah. alive, shall we say. Yeah, and he, he just shouts 
for like just to get away from his friends, blasts a dude with heat vision, and the league are like, oh, he's back. Yeah, go, Jean. And then the lead scientist is like, but I was monologuing, and I want to keep monologuing. What do you um, suppose Jean's like recovery strategy was? You know, do you, do you think he like uh, I don't know when flew off, woke up, flew off, had a quick dip in the ocean, you know, or you know, how how do you uh, come how do you come back from that? Just just sheer raw willpower. I think really? he's still it's it's that thing where I think he's still exhausted and in a lot of pain, but he's just finding the willpower to carry on and fight to help his friends. I do uh, I do really like the idea that I think Morrison touched on a little bit and was explored later in uh when Joe Kelly and Doug Mank were doing JLA and frankly this is probably out of continuity now but like <laughs> the the idea that the 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 weakness to fire that Martians have is a purely like psychological one rather mm. than a physical one like fire can obviously hurt them but they're shapeshifters you know like john could recover from most injuries given time yeah um but it's like the idea that yeah so so i have no issue with john coming back from being like a, a burned crisp but it could just be like mind over matter like he was able to you know just kind of fix himself um with superior willpower but um yeah i i, I liked i liked what that later creative team did because they suggested that it was entirely an artificial mental block which i think the guardians of the of the universe put in yeah to, to stop martians becoming too powerful yeah yeah but yeah so this this is a tired john but he's an angry john as well and we know what happens when john gets angry <laughs> yeah um hey hey pj and and in another jla story we've covered that featured heaven in the title um exactly the one i had in mind he he, he goes and blasts a fool because Jean Pisk is is wonderful. Well, I think yeah, is it's how much he's battling Asmodel until he can barely stand, and it's only when Superman steps in and tells him to stand down and takes over oh, that Jean finally it. does stop, even though he's like on, right on the edge. So it's a very Jean thing to do to just push himself further and further as far as he can to help his friends. Well, and also in in that same story when literally they've just met these angels and in the span of seconds jong's like okay i know who the good guys and bad guys are and he has to listen to them talk for like 10 seconds and then just blasts the hell out of an angel because he's just like i am so so sick of would-be conquerors like literally it is every day with you guys (laughs) yeah (laughs) right for 10 years (laughs) (laughs) oh and even in um uh dc one million where he 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 just goes absolutely hog on a um on randall savage's tank randall yep. savage like vandal <laughs> yes yeah, that's his cousin randall savage is his little brother yeah um vandal savage's tank because he's just like again he just doesn't like world conquerors he gets yep. it really pisses him off yeah exactly <laughs> so anyway the head scientist smashes a button and flash runs up and says what have you done and then an earthquake starts and Black Canary says, oh, he started an earthquake. And the scientist is like, to call this a quake is to call the Atlantic a pond. And he explains their full plan now, which is that they're going to reverse continental drift to turn the 
continents back towards each other and remake Pangaea, which apparently makes the world okay for the Appalachians, but it will kill a lot of people and destroy coastlines and everything. I mean, it's a it's a hell of a statement. Like like in the way that Magneto was always talking about reversing the Earth's magnetic poles because that was like his kind of unfinished masterpiece. Mm. But yeah, these are things that are just going to happen naturally in time anyway, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I guess kind of like... I guess it's the speed of it, isn't it? Um, you know, if you wait a few million years, the, I, the continents are going to drift back together, I'm told. I, I do love the idea that like this guy flicks the switch and goes, aha, because of our... Our genius, like a super machine, uh, the Earth's continents are going to reform Pangaea, and it's like, cool. How long is that going to take? About ten million years. <laughs> C- cool. So, could c- c- can we can we go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, apparently, I'm I'm guessing that just means the Appalachians don't like oceans. <laughs> I guess not. I mean. There's probably like quicker ways if you really, really wanted to kill all humanity. But, you know, they it's a very powerful machine. It's one of those things where it's like, why, why do the bad guys want it? And it sort of waved away with the scientist going, once upon a time, the world's land masses were one gigantic supercontinent, a notion that quite appealed to our Appalachian ally. So it's basically the Appalachians went, oh, that was cool. And Locust went, <laughs> well, well, we could do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's more of just like an aesthetic choice. You know, yeah. it's like they're, they're going to have Earth one way or another, but they want to redecorate a bit first. But I, I do love a supervillain plan that you probably shouldn't think too much about. Oh, yeah. I think, I, to be honest, because, like, that's a big thing, isn't it? It's like if you really, really wanted to, like, cause some supervillainy, you just go, I don't know, poison a reservoir. Yeah. That's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, the JLA cast does not endorse reservoir poisoning. No, no. I'm just saying, like, you know, Doctor Doom would have a certain certain class to him. You know? Yeah. You know, he'd yeah. uh, what would he do? He'd um, he threatened to banish uh, a a a yeah he 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 would banish a capital city to the negative zone every hour until his uh, until his demands are met. Yeah, yeah, that's what he'd do. <laughs> uh. And you go like, well, God, it's evil, but like. I respect the artistry, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of don't want to stop him. <laughs> um, but, you know, the League, they're like, well, whether it's going to take a few minutes or like mil- millions of years, we should probably stop it. And so Flash starts uh, grabbing people, basically. Well, first you get this, again, just brilliant moment. Canary asks what they should do. And Flash says, you want to ask Green Lantern? And Lantern says, I'm not giving any more orders. And Flash is like, since when? <laughs> <laughs> and Hal just says, since the others decided that you're the leader. And Flash seems as surprised by this as Hal was in the last issue. <laughs> yeah, and, and Hal, again, with that with that kind of character growth, he's like, look, you know, if I've been a bit of a jerk lately, it's it's only because I I thought I was bad at the job, basically. But yeah. you know, Barry, you're a faster thinker than me, so what what have you got, basically? And <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's just ni- oh. nicely kind of handing it over. But also these these last three panels are brilliant. Flash is basically he's already got a plan. He says, right, well we'll take out the compound, but you need to buy us time, fly as high as you can, and use your magic ring to keep the continents in place. And Hal's just got this look of what the hell on his face as he said, What in God's name makes you think I'm that good? And Barry just says with a little smile, I've seen you. And then Cocky Hal is back as he's got this this grin on his face and he just goes, Oh yeah. <laughs> 
it's per it just encapsulate again encapsulate those two characters perfectly i think those three panels i love it yeah and um i i, I mean again it, it depends on how how powerful you you think a green lantern ring is um there are many schools of thought here like is it is it is it entirely limited by imagination i i, I don't know and will and willpower yeah, but we, you know, I think that this is the thing that they sort of get right with Hal, isn't it? All along is to have that level of willpower, there probably would be a certain amount of ego that goes with it. Mm. <laughs> so, Hal's superpower is his incredible belief in himself. The, uh, I mean, we've also seen uh, we've seen Kyle stop a supernova in yeah. DC One Million. Um, I, I think it's 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 interesting, isn't it? Because I think it's Hal's willpower comes from ego. Kyle's comes more from, as you say, imagination. Mm. So Kyle is like, I can believe in anything, therefore I can create anything. And that's how he works it. Whereas Hal is more, I believe in myself, so I can do this. Ooh. Which is why, you know, a lot of the time there are weird things, but his the shapes he makes are never as interesting as anything Kyle did. Well, indeed, I think as Kyle said, you know, you know, green bubbles, that's the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, I remember there's, uh, in Morrison's run on Green Lantern, which again, I, I think I've said I, I had some kind of like mixed feelings about, I want to say like this, it opened with some kind of story conceit about how the Guardians were removing like conceptual limits on his ring or something to like... Hmm. Because he, he'd earned it or something. And yeah. I swear there's a bit where, like, he makes a giant, like, snooker cue, pool cue, and is, like, like batting the planet Earth back into orbit with with, uh, with that. <laughs> of course he is. I mean, yeah, God, like, if, if, if the limit is really just your imagination, then, yeah, God, anything's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but hey, so yeah, uh, so Hal, no biggie, just go and keep the continents in place, please, and uh, we'll we'll mop up some some monster mash dudes. Yeah, and they do. the The league just go to town on them, and I think Canary and Aquaman are both impressed that Flash has managed to get Hal to toe the line. As Canary asks if Flash will have his baby, and then Aquaman says, "Or mine." <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and ha and Barry ever ever modest is like well you know it's not just me we're a team and um, there's a there's a I don't know I, I don't I'm not even sure if tension is the word but there's like a slight awkwardness between him and him and Black Canary um, but uh, thankfully uh, you know a giant monster tries to punch him which which you know prevents having to have awkward conversations yeah. And, and Flash says, you know, we've, we've got to get to that computer, keep fighting. Lantern's doing all he can. As we get a fantastic, almost splash page, there's one little panel close-up of Hal sweating, concentrating, struggling. As Barry says, even he can't stop the world for long. And then the splash page is Hal in space, high above the Earth, and he sort of created scaffolding all around the planet to try and keep the continents in place. It's a glorious piece of art from... Barry Kitson and the rest of the art team. I absolutely love this panel. Possibly one of my favourite Hal moments ever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. Wow. I mean, what can you say? He's he's put scaffolding around the world. It's like a, I don't know. I feels like a motivational slogan. <laughs> um, 
But uh, but yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, I, I feel like the rest of the league have got the easier job here. Um, but um, uh, Flash is, you know, trying to rally the troops. Uh, it's not looking good. Uh, Zhong's taking, you know, kind of like a bit of a beating. And, uh, you know, Flash is trying to tell him, like, you know, go go immaterial, like phase your way. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't say like backseat driving, but I'd be like, <laughs> hey, come on, come on, dude. You know, I, I know how to use my powers. Although he doesn't, because he gets punched out by one of the scientists, and Flash thinks he's too weak to focus. So Flash starts vibrating through the, the locust scientists, vibrates Aquaman, Canary, and Jean over to the computer terminal, so that Jean is down basically now. He's he's too weak, so he's down. So Aquaman and Canary have to guard Flash and Jean while Jean lies on the floor, and Flash tries to reverse the uh, the continental drift on the computer yeah and like either you know and you know barry's a smart fellow he's a scientist obviously but uh at the same time uh he could just brute force the problem uh by i don't know trying everything basically in the same way that um wally i believe what in like the opening new world order didn't wally like crack into a Martian computer by trying like a billion combinations in yeah. the blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah, I think that's basically what Barry's doing in these panels because he's typing really quickly to try and reverse everything. You get a couple of panels of Aquaman and Canary fighting the the big purple dudes as Flash thinks, oh God, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then he does it. Process nullified. Flash breathes a sigh of relief and in orbit, Green Lantern, who can clearly feel the continents not pushing against his scaffolding anymore, also is like, whew! <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I do like that, you know, I, I love that the um, big evil scientific computer is just has a, I don't know, has a preloaded graphic or something to just say, like, process nullified. Like, <laughs> I imagine they never planned to turn it off, but... Well, know, it's, so- it, it's, it's a 1980s evil science computer, remember, so... Oh, sure. Well, somebody on the IT department, you know, was like, "Hey, I'm going, I'm going to do a good job here, even if, even if no one asks for that feature." Um, but it's not over yet. We still got all these these purple dudes to deal with, and um, Flash is like, "Hey, Jean, hey, I know you're like kind of, you know, dying right now, but like, um, could you just like telepathically go into all these dudes' minds and, you know, I don't know, maybe shut down their bodies, please?" <laughs> yeah. And so Jean starts, but he says something I'm probing that something's wrong, and then he screams, and then all the scientists start screaming. We get a close-up of the lead scientist's face because he was plugging himself into one of the big purple bodies during the fight as he screams no. And Jean says, Someone's tampered with their brains, my probe set off a fatal neuroshock, they're taking their secrets to the grave. And Aquaman screams for Jean to get out of their head- heads, but Jean can feel them dying, and then they all just fall down dead, and the league are surrounded by a pile of corpses yeah i mean uh wow it's it's a hell of a fail safe like i'm i guess it's prudent to go oh well we don't want telepaths stealing stealing our secrets but at the same time like if the answer is to kill everybody on the payroll um yeah um hey we did it guys Woo! locusts are locusts are defeated (laughs) <laughs> yeah and canary's even like I, I don't get it did we win and as they're standing there flash just says yeah hooray so what do you what do you do yeah. at this point like what what do you do at this point because it's like there's a lot of dead bodies here like 
Is this where you call in the government? Do you calling somebody to come and clean up? I think in the Marvel universe, this is where you call in damage control, isn't it? But I don't know if DC have an equivalent. <laughs> there was a. Wasn't there a short-lived TV show like Alan Tudyk? Yes. It was the equivalent of Damage Control, wasn't it? I can't remember what it was called now. But yeah, I I didn't... I don't think I watched it. I don't know if it even made it over here, to be honest. Yeah. I I don't think it lasted very long anyway. But yeah. No, it didn't. Because I don't know. This is where I'd be like, we need a lawyer. I I need someone to like countersign stuff to say that we didn't just murder like 300 people. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> but we're just going to gloss over that because now we cut back to the league's cave. Yeah, so between pages they 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 tidied up all that. There are no legal uh kind of consequences and they've gone back to their wet seaside cave to uh... I think they just walked away whistling, didn't they? Like <laughs> nothing to see here. Well, yeah, I guess like Flash works in forensics, so he could yeah. like destroy yeah. all the evidence in seconds and then yeah. uh, they could just go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yes, wet seaside cave, PJ. Yes. So Canary just says, now I think we ask some hard questions. Jean, we appreciate you're on our side, but we still feel betrayed. And Flash points out that he spied on their civilian identities. For all they know, he could have used his telepathy to pry inside their heads, which Jean says he never would have. But Flash says, well, we don't know that. And Aquaman asks, why? And there's just a long pause. And then Jean explains that he's been stranded on an alien planet for years now that has a history of being unreceptive to people who are different and in which his senses are dulled by a match or he's endangered by a campfire. And he just says, you know, I've I've been... My survival depended on observation, gathering information on the motivations of the strangers around me and the world's acceptance of you. I went in search of friendship. And Aquaman says, well, you found it. And Jean says, yes, and during our first encounter, I watched you exterminate an alien force you knew little about and take pride in that. And then Canary says, I don't think pride's the right word. And Jean points out, we keep one of their corpses in the trophy room. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Um, I've got to say, I, I... I don't know if it's if it's an aspect we've seen explored too much in the pages of a Justice League comic, but it, it, it is almost like an underused feature that he is the Martian Manhunter. You know, like yeah. his his skill set as as powerful as he is, as much as he's like a uh, a titan compared to Superman. Um, he he's you know he's a detective. You know, his skills are as a shapeshifter and a telepath make him perfectly suited to investigating things from the shadows. And yeah. uh, I maybe there have been solo Jean books that have done more with that. But yeah, it's a, it's a fun aspect of his character to kind of see more of. Yeah, I I, I think there's a couple of the very original... Because he first appeared in Detective Comics. It was Detective mm. Stories, so there would have been elements of it. Although those very old Detective Stories weren't quite as clever as maybe you'd want a detective story to be <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so i think it has been looked at a little bit um but yeah yeah it's a nice just a nice little acknowledgement of what his one of his many skill sets that maybe doesn't get utilized quite so much yeah and um you know uh you know after after obviously the kind of bombshell um observation that we literally have we keep a dead body as a trophy um Jean is like, well, you know, I, I, I don't, I didn't want to fear you. I mean, 
I thought you were all, you know, good people, but ultimately you're, you know, you're people, you're human. And obviously that comes with some, that comes with some baggage, particularly when it comes to uh, treating those who are different to us. Um, so he's like, look, I, I had to protect myself, basically. Yeah. I did what I had to to survive. And Hal says, well, so lie. I don't like lies. And before Jean can say, look, I regretted my canary, just turns on Hal and says, well, what about you? How do I know you haven't been doing X-raying with that ring? <laughs> and Hal says, well, that's just paranoid. Are you going to tell me that Aquaman coaches his goldfish to spy on me? And Aquaman says, well, that's not funny. Is and Canary points out, you know, none of us know each other. We thought that the masks didn't matter and we we can't trust each other. And you get this panel of the legal turning their backs on each other and looking sad and slightly ashamed and, and Flash just in the middle, not sure what to do. And I, I would say Hal dropping a massive clangor here by admitting that he has a goldfish. <laughs> that, that that could be, you know, the, the key clue that someone would need to bust open his secret identity. So Yep. <laughs> but thankfully, I don't know, Flash is a bit of a leader and he knows exactly what to do. Yeah, so he just pulls off his mask and tells them, my name is Barry Allen, I'm a forensic scientist with the Central City Police Department. Ah, oh, honesty, it's nice. <laughs> yeah, and um, and again, like, it's, it is the um, the central conceit of being a superhero is that, you know, something like a domino mask can protect your identity but you know i i do i do love the idea of you know they're, they're all just kind of demasking here yeah. and obviously like um you know uh uh black canary takes off her wig like the strongest wig in the world which we we've, we've seen can you know stay on even at supersonic speed <laughs> and she introduces herself and goes hi you know dinah lanks i'm a florist in star city and how's like a florist <laughs> she's like don't ruin my moment okay yeah so hal takes off his mask says hal jordan test pilot for ferris aircraft in coast city and then aquaman says well i don't really have a secret identity but my dad called me arthur <laughs> yeah and uh it's the uh it's for Hal one that gets me because i love the idea of how pe peeling off this little um kind of domino mask and everyone going like <gasps> it's hal jordan <laughs> <laughs> um but well, yeah of course none of them would have met hal jordan would they? no i'm sorry i'm i'm being an asshole pj I, I always go back to that moment in the justice league cartoon where lex luthor and the flash oh. swap bodies which was a great piece of choice because it meant michael rosenbaum was playing lex luthor in the cartoon because he was the flash and he goes well at least i can learn the flash's secret identity he walks <laughs> into a bathroom pulls off his mask and just goes I have no idea who this is. <laughs> and there's a, a great moment in the season finale, first season finale, I think, where the Thanagarians invade. Yes. And they all have to go undercover. And they're like, well, you know, we're, we're going to have to dress as civilians. And I think Barry's like, well, hey, what about my se our secret identities? And uh, and then Bruce Wayne in instant just goes like, uh, Barry Allen. Wally West, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. No, that cartoon did great things with secret identities. <laughs> oh, it's a fun cartoon. The uh, it, it, it's one of those things where, like a lot of um, animated series, it's often quite hard to get the entire run on, on mm. in, in one set. Lucy and I have got like a couple of collected editions, and there's 
you know, they've got like three ish, three episodes in. And there's the episode with the first time they fight the Injustice gang. Yes. Which is fantastic because Batman spends the entire episode tied to a pole. And literally every time a villain goes to talk to Batman, he ends up defeating them in some way. Literally yeah. just by talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most Batman thing ever. <laughs> like he's, I think he like seduces Cheetah. Uh, he like just literally pays the ultra humanite to, yeah. <laughs> to, to betray them. It's amazing. It's absolutely it's brilliant. brilliant. Oh, what a cartoon. What a cartoon. Oh, uh, but uh, Jean introduces himself as well uh, by shapeshifting into his human identity. Uh, as he says, I am a detective with the Middleton Police. I simply call myself John Jones. And then Barry shakes his hand and says, from one lawman to another, it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, everyone's... And this is where they would now all go get drunk and just have a riotous good night out. But unfortunately for them, there are two issues left of the series. So instead, there's a big clang and they all put their masks and all wigs and all shape-shifting stuff back on. As yeah, Flash like, says, well, it's going to be our mechanic, isn't it? I, I Yeah, I... I you know, no, no, just to be that guy again. I, I, I ha- don't have a lot of experience of wearing wigs, but uh, you would think that Dino would need some kind of like hairnet to like contain her actual hair under <laughs> the big, the big super wig. I think she, she's just practiced, isn't it? She just practices a lot at home. She's like, let's practice getting the wig on and off quickly, just in case. I would say if this were, if this were like a 1960s Marvel comic, there'd be like a line where she'd say like, I use subsonic vibrations to like contain my <laughs> hair or something. Yeah. <laughs> I use a sonic hairnet to uh, contain it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's Snapper. And of course, um, he's, he's, he's all messed up because he got his head smashed into a computer monitor. And 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 they're like, good God, Snapper, what happened? And he's like, it's my uncle. It's Uncle Simon. He's the big bad guy, basically. Yeah. Yeah, he says he tried to kill me, but I got away. And Dinah says, well, why did he do this? And Snapper says, because I know that he's the alien we've been looking for. It's him. And then they get, apparently the NORAD alert is tied into their cave. And <laughs> this fleet of spaceships appear as Snapper says, Uncle Simon's the alien. He's not alone anymore. He was getting locusts to make the world over for his people. Uh-oh. Yeah, and um, again, I keep coming... I, I'm just being such a... I'm being such a pain in the ass this episode. I keep going back to the fact that, like, their base is a is a sandy cave on a beach. And <laughs> I love that they can just, you know, step out the front door and just be on the seaside, basically, as we... Yeah, as they look up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and there's all those spaceships. Well, that's where Simon summoned them from, wasn't it? So yeah, it's literally like space invaders. Like there are there are just so many of these things filling the sky. Um, and I think PJ, that's how you that's how you set up a final act, basically. Very much so. Very much so. It is all going to heck. It really is. And uh, yeah, the the last two issues. Oh, it's, it, there's there's a lot. I'm excited. Yeah, indeed. Like it's all. It's all kicking off now, basically. And um, yeah, the, I mean, you know, thankfully the League are now a stronger unit. They trust and love each other. And I'm sure it will be plain sailing right to the end. I mean, it will internally, <laughs> but they, they need that. 
I think it's 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 very clever, isn't it? Because Mark Wade and Brian Augustin, they needed this sort of descent within the league for the first, well, for, for a big part of the story, just while these people get to know each other, but while also trying to maintain secret identities. But for the end of the story, the final battle, you need a united Justice League. Oh, so I think sure. resolving though though that element at this point in the story is is absolutely perfect. Oh, you know, yeah, very much so. And you know, if and again, I even though I am very clearly reading Brian Augusting's work here, I'm I'm not massively familiar with with his kind of you know background and and, and oeuvre, shall we say? Yeah. But Mark Wade gets characters. That's a bit, it's a thing. It's a superhero adventure. You you always get your big punchy punchy, you know, laser beams kind of stuff. But like, Mark Wade is a very good writer of characters, and yeah, this is yeah. We we've had whole episodes where the 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 excitement, if you will, the drama has been entirely interpersonal. You know, and it's a credit. It's a credit to 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 his work as a writer. Yeah, agreed, agreed, and. Yeah, flipping ahead, there's some great moments in the issues coming up. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's nice to have that the league together and and okay and it's it's something Wade's done a few times with the league actually. There's this not too long after this he sort of does a similar scene um in a different book, but yeah, it's really effective. It's very, very effective, I think, in in this issue in particular. Well, indeed. I mean, I think um, things are said on the on the on the you know previous like episode, like you know for me at least, because as a kind of someone who came in through through the Morrison stuff and and was very much like a, a magnificent seven kind of kind of guy, um, this hasn't has never really felt like my league because I, I don't have this kind of um, deep affection for for this incarnation or you know or barry or Powell, for example as we mm. as we've said but that said it is a fight is a f- really good superhero story in its own right like even if you don't have that initial familiarity with the characters and like and particularly we've spent and again this is the strength of their approach in storytelling is they've spent so much time focusing on the characters like really just getting to know them and, and and really just kind of having them hang out together uh, that you you can't help but care you know as uh, as this story kind of nears its its conclusion yeah exactly exactly that oh it's so good it's grand it's fine it's it's, it's we're all having a good time here and i tell you what pj if you like um if you like obscure dc cameos you know <laughs> you're in for an absolute treat shall we say yes yes the next couple of issues are jam-packed yeah which we will we will get to but again it, it kind of speaks to the 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 nature of the entire uh project that you know that they're doing here with jla year one the idea that like there are there are a lot of superheroes out there and like yeah. and in a way the only thing that's missing is the Justice League. Like, this is obviously an origin story of the Justice League kind of not just coming together, because they have done, but actually, you know, learning to function as a, as a team and become this incredible legacy going forward. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's made me realise actually revisiting JLA Year One. Everyone holds up Batman Year One as a shining example of of comics, but I, I think obviously DC did other Year One, Year Two stories, and I think JLA Year One it's up there for me. It it it's I know they're reprinting it now, but I feel like until now it's sort of been forgotten for a while, probably because of all the shifts in continuity and stuff. But I really hold this book up. It's it's brilliant. It's just very, I mean, like, you, you know, we, we, the Morrison, the way that Morrison was, would write a story was very, uh, very flashy. I, I don't, I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. I, it is a positive. Like, you could read a Morrison story and just be dazzled by the spectacle, which is not to say that there wouldn't be character moments. And I think by comparison, this is a more straightforward story. Like it's 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 more of like an A to B story. Like we have our characters, we have a mystery. They are learning to trust each other, and sometimes you just need a solid story. Like I, yeah. I there, there's a place for both kinds of storytelling, and it's it's very telling. I think that Morrison and and Wade get on so well, even though they have such such different writing styles. Yeah, but I think there's a there's a they each respect what the other one does, and that sort of shows in this where you have. You know, this it's a nice companion piece to Morrison's JLA. Mm. Especially coming out at the same time and everything. And then Wade was obviously involved in Midsummer's Nightmare, which Morrison then builds off in their JLA run as well. So there's they're very much two writers who are together in this in a weird way on on JLA at various points and times. And obviously Wade would take over the book after Morrison left on the main book as well. There is a um uh, a strange little shop in Gloucester, which um, I've recently discovered, having you know, kind of working working there now, where um, it's like a it's it's massive and it's a it's a proper like collector's shop, if you will. Mm. So like, if you were desperately trying to get hold of like a very obscure Game Boy game, they've got cabinet after cabinet of old Game Boy games, figurines, statues, nice. um, that kind of thing, and there is actually a graphic novel section mm. which has more variety than i've seen in a while mostly because there's more of the quote-unquote old man comics that i appreciate now <laughs> and, I, and i saw that they had a collected trade of at least volume one of wag's run on the flash oh wow yeah and i was sorely tempted because i was like oh i might come back for that because i think that's a gap in my in my in my library that that could be entertaining and also you just know you'd probably be in safe hands like you pick it up i've i've read wade's first few issues on the flash i I think i i bought them on comiXology back in the day and yeah they're great they're Mm. great i would love to read the entire wade run i really would at some point oh no it's very long so there's a lot of it i haven't read but the bits i have and obviously that then leads into impulse as well who I love. I'm a big, big Impulse fan. So yeah, no, well, it's it's definitely one one to check out. Well, am I being an idiot, PJ? Is this all that would have been post Crisis? Yes, yeah, because obviously it's. It, I think he's about issue. See, most of the books, DC books, relaunched with issue ones after Crisis. I think the only ones that weren't were the Superman and Batman books, although they did both each have a newish. I think um. Man of Steel and Legends of the Dark Knight, perhaps, were the new issue ones that came out just after Crisis. Uh, but we see everything else, Green Lantern, 
Wonder Woman, Flash, they all had new issue ones. But obviously the Flash was Wally. And I think Wade took over the book around the issue 50 mark. So around early 90s, maybe. Uh, but then obviously stayed on it for a good while. Well, that was my big question, really, because obviously, like, we're 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 reading a years long a year long story that features Barry, and and obviously Wade spending a lot of time using Barry's voice. Barry, quite a central character, this. And I was actually just wondering, like, get that thing. I was just thinking, like, oh, hang on a minute, was it Wally or Barry that you know Wade spent so many years writing? It was Wally, but obviously, when writing Wally, you have to deal with Barry, and I'm pretty sure that wade's first story on the flash was the return of barry allen really which is a story where barry supposedly comes back from the dead or it might have been oh it might have been later on in the run but there's definitely a story in wade's run did when did wade start on the flash i'm gonna check this <laughs> here it comes well here's another question for you pj is is Mark Wade to DC what Kurt Busick is to Marvel? Oh, do you know what? I'd almost say yes, but then I'd say Mark Wade is also to Marvel. What? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. That's the thing. Like, I mean, because they're, they're two writers who have a, a, a an encyclopedic knowledge of the continuity. And and a, and a deep, deep, deep love for these characters. You know, often stories that hinge upon legacy or, or bringing up, like, old characters you didn't know existed and doing something fun with them. But, yeah, yeah you're right. Like, Mark Wade is mercurial. Um, he, goes, he goes where he's needed, basically. Okay, I was wrong. Wade starts on The Flash with issue 62 and The Return of Barry Allen starts in, like, issue 72. But ah, fairly well. early on in his run then. So at 10 issues in, he does a story called The Return of Barry Allen. So, And we are talking early early to mid-90s now? Yes, yeah. So, um, yeah, so the his first issue... He does Flash Special 1 in an annual first, but his first issue, 62, is May 1992 is the cover date according to the DC wiki. You know, thinking about it, it's actually amazing that it took so long for the Morrison JLA series to happen. Like, 1997 is quite late. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Wade was still on The Flash. Yes, Because Because events yeah. in JLA tie into Wade's Flash. And I know Morrison and Miller take over and do some Flash in the middle of Wade's run, uh, but that's a temporary thing, and then see Wade comes back to it. Mm. You know... It's a shame that comicsology is not what it was. Because, I know. Yeah, it'd be cause to uh, to try and fill some of these gaps. Um, but there we go, PJ. Have we have we said everything there is to say about this issue? Um, volume one of the Flash by Mark Wade is fifty pounds on Amazon. So if they have got it in that shop for cheaper, I go and get it, John. Don't think it was fifty quid. I am be dead. <laughs> I'm going to go back and check that again. <laughs> But other than that, yeah, we're good. <laughs> cool. Um, well, okay. I guess I guess it falls on me to say a, a massive thank you to uh, Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover art, and uh, Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune, Justice. Uh, is there anything you'd like to shout about, PJ? Uh, nah, nah. I don't think I've got anything to shout about either, really. Um, but uh, I will say, PJ, this has been an absolute pleasure, and as uh, ever. 
to anyone listening. I hope you will stick around for... Well, fr- thankfully, you know, frankly, if you're here at this point, like, you've got to finish year one, haven't you? I mean, we're, yeah. we, we're really we're really near that Two to go. Now. Two Only to go. Two. I mean, come on. Will they save the day? Will there be a Justice League? You know, how will we know? Um, but yes, PJ, um, on that note, would you please see us off in your own unique fashion? My real name is Patrick. 